I'm not going to just be some Christian. How many of us have said that before? Actually, what I said was, I'm not going to be just some pastor. And look at me here, (laughs) some pastor. We're beginning with uh, a series today called Journey. And today we're going to look at where the journey begins. It's my favorite part, I'll be honest with you, about the journey. It's where people figure out who God is and where they fit. And all of those pieces begin to fit together. If you're here for the first time, I want to welcome you to Highlands and say this is just a family that God is developing here. We hope that you feel a part of this family. We also want to say hello to our friends in Anaheim, California, who are listening today. We will have 50 to 100 folks from Anaheim coming up in October to visit us from a church down there. They're excited about what's happening here, and they'll be up here. The youth group down there is coming up here. But before we talk about our series, I just want to talk about the black and white uh, gala. This really is going to be an incredible gala. Uh, We have this uh, Celtic band coming in. We have Jamie Baird coming up. I don't know if you've heard of him from down south. We have, and I know about these galas. You're worried, well, if I go to this thing, I'm going to have to shell out more money on top of that. Shoot, think of this as a Costco membership. You know, you you get the membership and everything else is cheap when you get in there. Uh, You know, you're going to get a, they have a tank ride. You could get that for $5 probably for your, get it for your dad, a tank ride for your dad. You're saying to yourself, I don't have any black and white. Uh, We've got about 100 t-shirts downstairs we can give you. You've got some black and white right here. You're saying, I don't have a job. I don't have a job. Well, how are you going to get a job if you don't go to a gala? You go to the gala and the guy says, "Uh, what do you do? He says, I'm out of work. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm a paperclip rearranger. And you say, he says, well, I'm looking for a paperclip rearranger. You get yourself a job. It, there's free childcare here at the church. You've got teenagers. You're saying, I can't leave my teenagers. Leave your teenagers at home. Just leave them. Come to this. You will not. You know what? A church needs to celebrate. We are this hard driving church. We've always been these family camps and these worship camps and these music camps and these Bible studies. It is also a thing to worship and have celebration. So please come to this thing. You will have a really fun time. Okay, so we're beginning our new series today called Journey. And one of the things I love so much about Highlands is it has people from every stage of the Christian journey here. We have beginning Christ followers. We have intermediate folks. We have people who are kind of more advanced. Every day, every Sunday at the back door, I'm standing there and people come to me and tell me about what they're thinking after the service. Last week, a guy said, Graham, I loved the message, but it was just a little over my head. Could you kind of make it a little simpler next week? So I said, sure, we'll do that. And then the next guy came up to me and said, Graham... You know, you could have gone on another 30 minutes about that one point. I needed a lot more. Could you do that next week? And I said, yeah, I I could probably do that. Another person comes up to me and says, I noticed the Greek Ganaonathan that relates to the Ethiopian Ugaritic, which comes from the ancient text. And I have to say, Haley, how many times do I have to tell you not to bother me at the back door? (laughs) So my daughter's name is Haley. She's two. So I love, can you just raise your hand today if you are a part of the brand new part of the journey, if Jesus is a brand new, if you're a brand new Christ follower or the last five years, this stuff has started to come together for you. Would you put your hand up or just put up in your heart? Yeah, look at all these folks. Put your hand up if you've kind of been on the journey for a while. You're what you'd call an intermediate Christ follower. You kind of know a whole lot about this stuff, but you kind of want to go deeper into it. Would you put your hands up? Exactly. And uh, would you raise your hand if you were kind of in that advanced category? You really have studied this thing as long and you know everything there is to know pretty close to it. And uh, nobody's raising your hand. That's a healthy church right there. Okay. So we are going to talk in this series about all three. Now, I'll tell you what happens. Now, in most churches, what happens is the church focuses on the one group and then they don't 
help the other folks. Some churches just focus on that first group, in the beginning of the Christ followers, and then the other ones kind of feel like, well, they're not really kind of getting anything. And then some churches focus on the intermediate folks. And so these churches, you can always tell they're huge churches. They have huge program staff. They have great big budgets. They have programs every day, thousands of programs. And that's wonderful. But what happens is when that person leaves the church, they no longer have a faith because their faith was tied to being fed at that church. And they say, well, I'm not going to church if I can't be near that church. They don't know how to feed themselves. And then people in the advanced category, a lot of times pastors especially focus on them. And usually there's only a handful of folks in a church who are in that category, but they come to the pastor and say, you know what? They, they hit a pastor where he's weak, his ego. And they say, you know, Pastor Rick is really a deep preacher down the way. He is super deep and he gets right into the Bible. Anyway, I don't know if you're like Pastor Rick, but I hope you have a good day. And so that pastor spends all week long trying to get deep into that, and they, get, they focus on those two or three people out there, and the rest of the people don't ex- understand a thing of what they're saying. So we're going to talk about how we're going to be a church for all three of these groups, and we're going to talk about how over this next series. Now, you know we have a mission statement at Highlands. It's on the doors, and I love mission statements. They're supposed to be crisp and to the point. They're supposed to tell people exactly what... Uh, the church is about. This is Gordon Gecko from uh, his uh, mission statement. is a little different. Rule the world, get lots of cookies, eat the cookies, get more cookies, and eat those cookies too. We don't have a mission statement like that. Our mission statement is simple. It could fit on a t-shirt to help de-churched people become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's it. And with that mission statement, we can say that around 10 to 15% of this entire population of this area have come through our doors at any given time. We have reached out to Paula and Pete Paso, who uh, are family who have a couple kids, and they're just trying to get by. We've reached out to Napa Ned in the wine industry. So we've done a wonderful job, but I want to talk about where the next stage for us is. What are we going to do with this three group of people? And so we have our vision statement. I want to share that with you, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just unwrap this over the next couple of weeks. Our vision statement for our church is this, to feed brand new Christ followers to feed them as much nourishment and relevant life sustenance as possible. Number two, the intermediates. We're going to help intermediate followers begin to learn to feed themselves. The best fruit comes from your own self-feeding. And then finally, we're going to help those who are advanced begin to feed others in relevant and important ways. All right? Let's pray about this, and then let's talk about it. We're going to focus on the very first group today, the beginning Christ followers. Father in heaven, I thank you for what you are doing in this church. I thank you that this is a church of three major groups of people. You have brought us together. And most churches only have one of the three. And Lord, I ask that you would continue to knit us together. Help us to feed each other so that we can be fed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So one of my favorite ministries at Highlands Church is a ministry that is led by Richard Blowers. It is our jail ministry. Richard Blowers, I don't know if you know, every Monday drives down to the jail down in San Luis Obispo. Rain, sleet, hail or shine, Richard is on the road. He is down there. I don't know if you've ever been to the jail, but it is not exactly the most uplifting place to spend a Monday. You go in there, and I've visited people there. You have to go in and get patted down. You go through security. Then they lead you into this door, and you actually feel like you're in jail. Then they lead you into this tiny little room where there's a one-inch pane of glass separating you from the person on the other side, the the prisoner, and there's an old World War II phone made of, like, steel from, like, a Bradley tank, 
and you pick up that phone, it's like the movies, and you talk into that phone and you talk to the person on the other side. Now, sometimes the person on the other side is really angry. Sometimes that person is just depressed. Usually they don't want to talk much. Richard's job every week is just to get that person to talk because any kind of enthusiasm in jail is considered a bad thing. You could get beat up if you're too enthusiastic in jail. So this last week, Richard went down to the jail and he's sitting in that little room with that glass and the guy opens up first. And he says this, I am reading the book of Luke and I can't put it down. I am reading the book of Luke and I can't put it down. He has got this excitement, this exuberance, this out-of-the-box in-loveness that he cannot even contain. That's what it looks like at the very first part of a journey. That's what it's always looked like. And our text today is of a woman who has that very same feeling, the same feeling that Jake had in the video, the same feeling that we saw in the jail just now. Let's take a look at Lydia, who is a person who came to faith for the very first time through a guy named Paul. Let's begin with verse 13. On the Sabbath, that's Saturday, we went outside the city gate to the river. Now, a lot of times, brand new people who are struggling go to nature. Does anybody have any friends here who go to the ocean? They say, I don't need church. I'm going to nature. Well, this is Lydia. She's going to the river with her friends. They're just outside the city of Philippi, where we expected to find a place of prayer. There they find several women sitting around that wonderful river just outside the city of Philippi. We sat down and began to speak to the women who gathered there. Now, we don't know what the conversation is. It really isn't listed here in the Bible. Uh, But we know that it began something like, uh, do you guys come to the river often? Maybe Paul said. We don't know how it began, but these women said, well, we do. And where are your husbands? Well, they're at home. They sleep in because they work five days a week. Okay. Well, why do you come to the river, says Paul? Well, I come to the river, says Lydia, because I just feel a power here. Great, said Paul. Do you ever think about maybe who made the river? Well, I have been thinking about that, says Lydia. Could you tell me your thoughts on that? And Paul says, well, a person that I met on the road to Damascus named Jesus Christ is the one who made the river. Anyway, I'll talk to you later. Lydia and the women are over there and they come back and talk to Paul again. And something big must have happened because it says here, one of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was upper middle class. That means she wasn't washing her laundry down by the river. She was there. She's beautifully dressed. The Lord opened her heart. Notice who opens her heart. It's God who opens her heart. God opens her heart. Paul doesn't do it. Silas doesn't do it. It isn't a good sermon. God opens her heart. And then it says, the Lord opened her heart, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, right there at the river, right there outside the city of Philippi, Paul and Silas baptized Lydia's mother, her daughter-in-law, her sister, baptized a couple of the other women and a couple of the daughters in that household, and they were all baptized. Then I love this. She says, well, when she said to the members of the household they were baptized, she invited us to her home. She said, if you consider me If you consider me a believer, if you think I'm good enough, this is my favorite thing about brand new followers. They have humility. It's what we call the who me factor here at Highlands. And whenever we ask somebody to do something here and they say, you don't have the right person, who me? We know you're about to get a job. Well, this is Lydia. She says, who me? You can come and say with me if you want. She has humility. And they decide to go to her house. 
And so Paul and Silas head to her house and they meet her husband and the rest of the family and they become Christ followers. And every single day, Paul begins to feed Lydia a little more, a little more, a little more. Then Paul and Silas are out one day and they get arrested and they get taken to the jail. And we don't know if Richard Blowers or someone like him, probably not Richard, you weren't around back then, were you? But somebody like him was in the jail, we probably don't know, but we do know that when they left that jail, they then went back to Lydia's house because she was such an encouraging person. If you want to find a great church in the New Testament, you want to find a church that's full of encouragement and hope, it's Philippi. It's because of Lydia. It's because of what God did in a beginning Christ follower in in her life. I want you to think for a moment about when you first began to grapple with who this God person might be. What point in your life to be, and maybe you haven't even reached that point yet. Maybe you're kind of right grappling right now. My time to grapple with God, it's hard to figure out because I was a cradle Christ follower. My dad was a pastor, so I was in church before I could walk. But, but I, remember, I remember one fishing trip I took with my dad. And I don't know if maybe it's something about water, but I was there with a, in Idaho with this great water in front of me. It was a great river. It was a snake river where we were fishing. And I was just putting it together. And I said, Dad, I know that God is the creator of the universe, but where does the tooth fairy fit into this whole thing? <laughs> I really was trying to figure it out. And I never really liked the tooth fairy, full confession, but I just needed to know what happened when he put that tooth. Is it God or who is it? And, and Dad said, I have to... I have to level with you. Don't tell your sister, but mom and I are the tooth fairy. I thought so, I said. Anyway, good to know that for sure. But then I said, but now I'm trying to figure out the cross and Jesus and how he died on the cross and how he came back to life again and how the Easter bunny fits into that whole thing. Because, you know, there's these eggs that get hidden down there. And and dad said, well, I got to just say that... uh, we are the one that hide the eggs, and it, the Easter money doesn't exist. Now, I wanted to ask my dad about the granddaddy of them all, and I won't mention his name right now because there are some kids in this worship service and those listening. But he is a great character who shows up once a year, and I loved this character. A wonderful man. I love the world that this man lives in. And I asked my dad, now, what about him? And I was mortified when he told me that he didn't exist either. I didn't even want to live in a world in such a place where there wasn't such a person. We need such a person. I was bummed for like three or four months. I'm not kidding. But what was happening is I was getting the things that I thought would provide me the things I wanted in my life taken away. And in its place, I was getting put the things that really do give me meaning in my life. When we begin to leave the things that we think we want, we, we need. When we begin to leave the addictions behind. So I thought that that was the thing that was going to get me through. And we replace that with God. We develop a sense of who God is. You know, a lot of people are really mad about government right now. Democrats, Republicans, independents, everybody. There seems to be a larger sense that government can't solve all our problems. Amen is what I say. Let's take that fictional character away from us and realize that there's only one who can provide all the things that we need in this life. And we all have different things, don't we? We think we can fill that. 
So what I want to talk about today is I want to talk to the brand new Christ followers. And if you are a brand new Christ follower, this message is for you. And if you are not, you need to know what brand new Christ followers are thinking and feeling. And we will talk to intermediate Christ followers and advanced Christ followers in the next couple of weeks. The first thing I want to say to you who are in the very first part of this journey, who are like Luke, who are like Lydia, who are like our friend in the jail down the way, is this. Ride that wave. Just ride it. The first part of the journey is this excitement. It's full of life and joy, and it's just this crazy wave. It's a true story about this guy who uh, lived in Detroit in the 1930s. He worked for Ford Motor Company. Those days, it was a tough job. And this guy, he became a Christ follower and became baptized. Now, during his time at Ford Motor Company, he had been stealing tools. He stole a tool every single day from Henry Ford. And when he became a Christ follower, he figured that was the thing he needed to give up. And so he gave the tools all back to Ford and said, I just got baptized. Here are the tools I stole for the last 20 years from you. They sent the memo to Henry Ford, who was in Europe at the time. And Henry got the memo and said, fantastic. Here's what we do. We dam up the D- Detroit River and we baptize the entire city of Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, he, that guy wasn't the only one. So, but ride the wave. It is a wave. It is an extraordinary thing. To, to the beginning, it's like a, an affair with God. It's, you can't get enough of it. It's just so exciting. And I just, I love being with people in the beginning part of this journey. I've been with so many folks, and I know there's a lot of folks out, out there really upset about the Islamic community in the United States, and I'm with you about the current news events, but I've got to say, I believe in a God that's bigger than that. And so I wouldn't mind if there were a few Muslims in my community, because then I wouldn't have to go all the way to Afghanistan to teach them about Jesus Christ. That's my perspective. But I'd like to hear yours. But I want to tell you about a person who came to Jesus Christ through my dad's church growing up. His name is Cambiz Pazeski. And he's a wonderful guy, and he was a Muslim, and his wife, Sharon, was a Christian. And he'd been struggling with who God was, like that guy at the river. He'd been struggling with who God was. But then he got on this plane. It was a 747, and he'd been reading his Bible. And, it, and then he figured out that Jesus is God. He said this. He sent my dad an email. As soon as he got back uh, from his trip, he got back. He said, my dad, dear Don, at 11.35, I took a transatlantic flight to Europe. I discovered Jesus is God, not Allah. This changes everything. I can't wait to get back to talk to you about what this means. I love what happens at the beginning part of that journey. Another person that I heard about was a guy named Fred Smith, whose dad invented Federal Express Mail Company. And Fred Smith was, uh, was like a lot of trust fund kids. He became a drug addict. He became very addicted to drugs. And he took all the drugs in the book, and he became so addicted he had to go to a, a clinic to help overcome this addiction. Well, at that clinic, a chaplain came in, like Richard Blowers, and he brought a Bible. And he said, I want to bring you a Bible from my church. And the guy, Fred Smith, said, I don't want anything to do with your God or that Bible. You can just take it and go. The chaplain left the Bible right there. Now, Fred was uh, an addict, and a lot of times in these clinics, they let you smoke. And so Fred figured out that he didn't want anything to do with the Bible, but the Bible pages were very good for one thing, and that was rolling cigarettes. And so he literally rolled his way through the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. True story. 
Then he got to the book of John, and he began to read. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he began to see that Jesus was God, and he started to ride the wave. If you're on the first part of this journey, just know that you should ride that wave. And we will help you. We will feed you. We'll give you anything you want. It is, is a high. The second thing to say is this. The ride, the wave, will come to an end. And a lot of times when people start to hit tough times, they start to figure out, they start to think, well, the wave is over, so therefore the journey is over. The wave that I first felt when I was a Christ follower is over, and now I don't want anything to do with it. This camp that we had last week that Caleb and Theater 3 led was just fantastic. We had 50-plus kids Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday here with their instruments. But it's so funny to see the kids. Monday, the kids came, and they brought their instruments, and they were not too happy. It was like their parents were dropping them off, and they had their heads down. They were carrying their guitars in, and Caleb was trying to teach them a few theory notes, um pa um pa pa um pa 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 and they were just sitting there like about as excited as uh, a group of uh, dazed geese. But then, then, the next day, Tuesday came along, and they were more excited. In fact, we had staff meeting. We couldn't even have our staff meeting downstairs because the kids were just so, they were playing guitars and drums, and they were really going crazy. And then by day three, they were so fired up about their instruments one little girl waved at me from the balcony. She said, hi, Pastor Graham, can't talk now. And she ran upstairs to play her guitar. So there was a high at the end of this camp. But that high will end. That high will end on those instruments. But hopefully the journey with those instruments doesn't end there. The journey continues, but the wave comes to an end. And it's often when we're in the midst of difficult times. The name for this is a mountaintop experience. Now, let me just ask you, the word mountaintop experience comes from the Bible. Does anyone know? It comes from the transfiguration. How many disciples had a mountaintop experience? Not a trick question. I'm holding up the number here. That's for you advanced followers out there. All right, three. Three people had a mountaintop experience. That means three people, Peter, John the Apostle, and James, the son of Zebedee, saw Jesus transfigured into God. How about the others? Nine of them never had a mountaintop experience. Does that mean they weren't Christ followers? No. Nine of them never had that wave. But God was still a part of that journey. Now what happens when the wave starts to slow down is we actually begin to grow. Billy Graham said it much better than I could. Billy Graham said this. He said, mountains are great for views, but the real fruit is grown in the valleys. The real fruit in our lives is grown in the darker and the difficult valleys of our lives. And when we actually start to figure that out, when the wave starts to slow down, that's when, that's when our faith really begins to take off. One of the guys that I really respect a lot is Bill Hybels, who is a part of Willow Creek. It's a little like Highlands. It's a little bigger, but it, <laughs> a lot bigger. But it is one of the churches that has kind of been off the hook, right? This huge wave and they had 14 music camps this summer, and they had all kinds of worship services, and they were always planning for something bigger. And soon the pastor of that church began to kind of take a spiritual nosedive, Bill Hybels. So he called up his advisor, and he said, Now, I just need to know what to do. I, I need some answers. Give me some quick answers on how to kind of get this thing going again. The spiritual advisor said, Bill, are you listening to me? And Bill said, Yeah, I got my pad right here. Let's go. One, two, three, let's roll. And the spiritual advisor said, Now, Bill, 
you need to eliminate hurry from your life entirely. Eliminate hurry from your life entirely. Bill said, I got that. Okay, let's go. Point number two. (laughs) No, Bill, eliminate hurry from your life entirely. When the wave begins to come to an end, the hurry often does too. And that's when real growth comes about. You know, as I think about Highlands, I think that maybe our first wave has kind of started to come to an end. You know, that first wave of going to the movie theater at 4 a.m. and setting up and going down there and then having an afternoon activity and a movie and the, then coming the next day and fired up again about that. First wave is coming to an end. Does that mean the journey ends? No. Does that mean there won't be more waves? Absolutely not. But that first wave, as it always does in every part of the journey, starts to come to a close. The last part, and this is the most important part of the message, the journey continues. The journey continues. This summer, Star and I and Haley, our vacation is pretty much confined to Kennedy Fitness swimming pool. But I remember some vacations growing up. One of the vacation I loved so much was with my dad and family on the Missouri River. When you think of the Missouri River, you think of Missouri, right? This great, big, expansive, half-a-mile-wide river. But we started up there in Montana, where that's where the Missouri River starts, up there by Missoula at the very foot of the Bitterroot Mountains. And I remember we were so excited about that because we thought it was going to be a whitewater trip, you know? We practiced. We got these fiberglass canoes that would bend, and we practiced in the white water, and we were going to hit those rapids like river runs through it. We were going to go down the chute of the Missouri River. We got up there. That was the slowest river I have ever been on. <laughs> we tried to pick that trip up. We tried to take the paddles and haul through that water, but it didn't matter. We just still stayed in the same place. We, in fact, we tried to make sails out of the flies on our tent and paddles so the air would take us. It took us. There was no wind. All we could do on that trip was to sit back, lay in the back of those canoes, and look at the walls of the canyon and see the great creation God had made around us. That's what happens on the journey when the wave ends. We just sit back and we see this great, great creation God has made. You know, a lot of people thought that when Jesus died, and then came back to life again and was here for 40 days and ascended into heaven, that was it. There's a journey over. Well, the wave had ended. 5,000 people fed in one moment. Thousands of people healed at every second. The wave had ended. The journey kept going. The journey continued on a road to Emmaus when two guys who had never heard of God were walking on this road, and a third man appears on this road, and they don't know it's Jesus. And he talks to them and he walks to them and he takes them to Emmaus and they have dinner that evening and Jesus has communion and he breaks the bread and he disappears and they know that the journey is continuing. And the journey continued early morning when the disciples were out fishing. They'd caught nothing. They were out in their boats and a man from the shore said, take your nets and throw them on the other side. And they did and they realized it was Jesus on the shore. The journey continued in an upper room where the disciples thought, that's it. Journey's over. The Holy Spirit came blowing through there and started that first church in Jerusalem. Ride the wave. The wave will come to an end, but the journey never ends. 
Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your love and your goodness, your strength. Father, I pray that you would be with us on this journey. Be with us as we feed brand new Christ followers. We ask that you would open hearts so that they can be receptive to that. Lord, we ask that those who are on the middle part of the journey would just learn to begin to feed themselves, and we will teach them. And finally, Lord, we want to feed others. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.